Welcome to the Buddha on Wall Street podcasts, a series of reflections on our evolving economy and world from the perspective of Buddhism. Presented by Vadika Lin. With each podcast, there is an associated transcript with references that you can find at the Buddha on Wall Street website at www.buddhaonwallstreet.com. This week's topic the values of modern economics and modern economic institutions. In the previous two podcasts, I looked at different views about human nature and at the values that need to be fostered for the future of humanity. At one end of the spectrum is the Buddha and other Axial Age thinkers, together with Charles Darwin and some modern evolutionary specialists, who acknowledge the competing potentials of selflessness and selfishness in human beings, and seek the promotion of selflessness and altruism for the good of the future of humanity. At the other end of the spectrum are the market liberals of the 19th century and their modern equivalents of neoliberals and market fundamentalists who promote the subordination of society to the economy, wanting to release the power of self-interest in free markets, seeing this as the way to future well-being. Adam Smith sits in the middle of the spectrum, acknowledging the power of self-interest in the impersonal world of economic exchange, whilst eloquently espousing empathy and compassion as morally essential to humanity in the world of the more personal space. But as I outlined at the conclusion of the last podcast, the world we live in is vastly different from and much more complicated than that of the Buddha or of Adam Smith or of Charles Darwin and the market liberals of the 19th century. The processes of natural and cultural selection don't just operate at the level of the individual and the group, but now operate at multi-levels of individuals, groups, states, regional and other blocks, all existing in an increasingly integrated global world. In this modern global context, the values and ideologies that govern the working of the most powerful institutions assume critical importance for the future of humanity. This is especially so in relation to economic institutions who have enormous power in our globalised world. But what are the dominant values and beliefs of the economists and politicians who run these institutions? And how do they compare with Buddhist values? How do they fit with the views of Charles Darwin and other evolutionary specialists? Or are they closer to the values and beliefs of Adam Smith? Or are they truly the neoliberal and market fundamentalist successors to the market liberals of the 19th century? I'm going to look at two powerful strains of thought that influence modern economic theory and practice. The first 
strain of thought clearly follows in the tradition of market liberalism and is connected with Ayn Rand, a 20th century philosopher and novelist. Although she died in 1982, Ayn Rand's considerable influence lives on, particularly in the United States. In the 1990s, a survey amongst Book of the Month members by the United States Library of Congress named one of Ayn Rand's novels Atlas Shrugged as one of the most influential books in the US, second only after the Bible. Paul Ryan, Republican vice presidential candidate in the 2012 United States presidential election and now Speaker of the United States House of Representatives, cites Ayn Rand as a major formative influence on his thinking. Alan Greenspan, who from the late 1980s was for 20 years the head of the United States Federal Reserve, one of the most important economic institutions in the world, was a friend and admirer of Ayn Rand. And for the last four years, the influential Adam Smith Institute in London has hosted the annual Ayn Rand Lecture to enthusiastic audiences of bankers, political advisers and economists. Ayn Rand's views were diametrically opposed to those of the Buddha because she viewed altruism as a disease that is incompatible with freedom, with capitalism and with individual rights. Her views also put her in conflict with Charles Darwin, since she believed that altruism was a kind of primitive social instinct, left over from our earlier evolution as humans. She held the view that we may still be in evolution as a species, and living side by side with some missing links. These missing links could be found, she thought, in those people who fail to utilise their rational selfishness to its full potential. She deeply believed that each man must live as an end in himself and follow his own rational self-interest. In her novel Atlas Shrugged, the hero John Galt exclaims, I swear by my life and my love of it that I will never live for the sake of another man nor ask another man to live for mine. Her conclusion was that if any civilization is to survive, it is the morality of altruism that men have to reject. It's difficult to imagine a view more completely opposed to everything that Buddhism stands for. Important that this first strain of thinking is amongst some policymakers. A second strain of thinking is more likely predominant amongst economic thinkers and policymakers. A good representative of this second strain is the economist Lawrence Summers. Summers was a senior economic advisor to both President Bill Clinton 
and President Barack Obama in the United States and is still an influential voice in economic matters. In between working for Clinton and Obama, from 2001 to 2006, Summers was also president of Harvard University, and it was at Harvard that he spoke on what economics can contribute to thinking about moral questions. This is what he said. One of the things that bothers many people of faith about market mechanisms is the idea that there is something wrong with a system where we are able to buy bread only because of the greed or profit motive of the people who make the bread. Here, I would be very cautious. We all only have so much altruism in us. Economists like me think of altruism as a valuable and rare good that needs conserving. Far better to conserve it by designing a system in which people's wants will be satisfied by individuals being selfish and saving that altruism for our families, our friends and the many social problems in this world that markets cannot solve. Summers is arguing that altruism is a resource and like other resources, its supply is limited and therefore needs to be economised. According to Summers, markets, which rely on people acting purely out of self-interest, save us from having to use up a restricted supply of altruism. So behind modern economics and business lie two views of altruism. The first and most extreme of Ayn Rand, who sees altruism as a disease incompatible with freedom. Her view is close to the market liberals of the 19th century. The second and most likely predominant view, like that of Lawrence Summers, does see some value in altruism and believes in the preservation of virtues for use where they are really needed by promoting selfishness in the operation of economic markets. It might be thought that Summers' view is closer to that of Adam Smith, distinguishing between the altruistic values of the more personal space and the selfish world of impersonal economic exchange. For three reasons, I don't think this is the case. First, Summers' way of thinking about altruism, generosity and love as resources with limited supply, like a fossil fuel that is diminished with every use, would seem bizarre to Adam Smith, as I'm sure it seems to most people. You don't need to be a Buddhist to see through it. American political philosopher and professor at Harvard University, Michael Sandel, gets it spot on when he argues in his book What Money Can't Buy, altruism, generosity, solidarity and civic spirit 
are not like commodities that are depleted with use. They are more like muscles that develop and grow stronger with exercise. One of the defects of a market-driven society is that it lets these virtues languish. To renew our public life, we need to exercise them more strenuously. The second reason is that Smith would be very uncomfortable with the commodification of human lives. Again, Michael Sandel gives us an example of how market thinking and the commodification of human lives works. The issue concerns refugees. An American law professor has proposed that an international body assign each country a yearly refugee quota based on national wealth. The wealthier the country, the higher the quota of refugees the country is assigned. However, nations can buy and sell these quotas or obligations among themselves. For example, if Japan is allocated a quota of 20,000 refugees per year, but doesn't want to take them, it could pay, let's say, Poland or Uganda to take them in. According to standard free market logic, everyone benefits. Poland or Uganda gains a new source of national income. Japan meets its refugee obligations by outsourcing them. And more refugees are rescued than would otherwise find asylum. Sandel ironically asks, what could be better? And answers, there is something distasteful about a market in refugees, even if it leads to more refugees finding asylum. But what exactly is objectionable about it? It has something to do with the fact that a market in refugees changes our view of who refugees are and how they should be treated. It encourages the participants, the buyers, the sellers and also those whose asylum is being haggled over to think of refugees as burdens to be unloaded or as revenue sources rather than as human beings in peril. What this example illustrates is that markets are not mere mechanisms. They embody certain norms. They presuppose and promote certain ways of valuing the goods being exchanged. Economists often assume that markets do not touch or taint the goods they regulate. But this is untrue. Markets leave their mark on social norms. Our modern economic marketplace corrupts our values and attitudes. Another way in which our modern economic marketplace corrupts our values is in its naked promotion of greed and creation of a climate in which the line between ethical and unethical actions become blurred. This is the third reason why Adam Smith 
would not subscribe to the ethos of Lawrence Summers and other economists. Perhaps the most famous statements in support of selfishness and greed were made by Ivan Bursky, a real-life Wall Street trader, and Gordon Gecko, a fictional Wall Street trader played by Michael Douglas in the film Wall Street. In May 1986, Bursky, at the time a tremendously successful and famous Wall Street trader, gave a speech at the University of California Berkeley School of Business in which he said, Greed is all right, by the way. I want you to know that. I think greed is healthy. You can be greedy and still feel good about yourself. According to a newspaper report, people in the audience laughed and applauded. Later that year, Bursky admitted that he had amassed some of his wealth through illegal trading and went to jail. But his words lived on in the 1987 film character Gordon Gecko, played by Michael Douglas in the film Wall Street. Here's Gordon Gecko. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. And late in 2013, then London Mayor and now leading British Conservative politician Boris Johnson declared that inequality is essential to fostering the spirit of envy and hailed greed as a valuable spur to economic activity, calling upon the Gordon Geckos of London to display their greed and promote economic growth. My conclusion is that modern economic thinking and practice is dominated by an ideology that is in conflict with Buddhism, with Charles Darwin and with Adam Smith. In its neoliberal market fundamentalist form, modern economics and modern economic institutions are very much in tune with the market liberalism of the 19th century. But there are, of course, some other economic thinkers who take a different approach. It is to one of those, Eleanor Ostrom, the only woman to have won the Nobel Prize for Economics, that I turn to in the next podcast. <laughs>